All right, our passage for this morning, uh, I am, uh, Justin is, is not, not preaching as he said. I'm, uh, I'll be continuing our series in uh, 2 Timothy this morning. So our passage will be 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, we'll start in verse 13. So if you have a copy of your Bible, you can uh, turn there with me right now. You can turn there with me right now. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 13. And we, we, uh, last week, Justin began the book of 2 Timothy. We saw him, uh, uh, we saw Paul in, in the opening verses of 2 Timothy call Timothy, his companion, to not be ashamed of the gospel. We see that that's how he starts off his, his letter. Uh, we saw in 1 Timothy, Paul explained, give instructions to Timothy as to how believers, how the church ought to conduct itself. And now he starts off this second letter saying, look, I want you to, to live together as a household of God, but I want you to do so faithfully to the end. I want you to endure to the end. And he started by saying, therefore, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be afraid of the gospel. And today, we're going to see him continue on the same uh, train of thought. But, uh, uh, and he, but yet he builds on his argument uh, a, a little bit in a significant way, I think, uh, as we'll see in our passage. So, uh, this is a picture of my son, Micah, who was, uh, he was dedicated uh, during the first service. He's two years old. He turned two yesterday, actually. And uh, he loves water. He loves swimming. He loves to go to swimming pools. Uh, but he hasn't always loved water. He hasn't always loved swimming. Uh, the first couple times when he was still getting familiar with with pools, with water, uh, with being, being around water, he would go to the edge of the pool, just like he's there now, and he would stand at the edge of the pool, and I'd be in the pool, and I'd invite him, I'd encourage him, and, and, and you know, kind of invite Micah, jump into my arms, jump into my arms, and he, and he would, would stand there, and he would, you could tell he was excited, he wanted to come be in the water with me, but he was scared, he didn't trust me, he didn't trust that I would actually catch him, uh, he didn't trust that the water it keeps us from lunging forward into risk, into, into what we know we ought to do. And that's not just true for toddlers. I mean, uh, all of us as, as, as adults have, have likely uh, faced this paralyzing fear before. How many, have you ever uh, been faced with a big decision in life? Maybe a changing a job, whether or not to take a new job, or whether to buy a house, or, or what school you should attend. And you've ran through the different options to stay or go to, to, to buy this house or not buy this house or go to this school and not this school. You've ran through all these options a thousand times in your, in your head looking over the pros and cons and trying to figure out what the future has for you. But you've been stuck and unable to make a, a decision because, you've been, because fear about how a decision might play out in the future paralyzes you, keeps you from taking a step forward. You know that a big decision is going to, uh, uh, fear about how a big decision is going to affect your future paralyzes you. That's what fear does. It paralyzes, it restrains, it, it prevents us from embracing risk. This affects toddlers, affects adults. Paul, in his letter to, to, second, uh, his letter to Timothy, he realizes that this paralyzing fear also has the potential to grip Timothy, his companion, as he labors in Ephesus for the sake of the gospel. So that's why we saw Justin last week walk us through 
The first 12 verses in there, Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't let fear of suffering or fear of shame paralyze you and keep you from living boldly out your calling. And Paul said, here's why you can have this kind of confidence. It's because I've seen the gospel at work in you. I've seen, I I, I know who you are. I know your parents. I've seen the gospel at work in your parents. And above all else, I know who God is. And we can have confidence in who God is. So don't be afraid of the water. You're standing at the edge. Now jump in. Take a step forward. That was last week. Now this week... What we're going to see is Paul paint a picture for us of what it looks like to jump in the water. What it looks like to take a step forward, rejecting passivity, rejecting fear, to take a step forward in pursuit of of a life that's driven by the gospel. And what he's going to say is there's three principles that we need to uh, be aware of. Rather than shrinking back, Paul wants us and he wants Timothy to hold on to and to hold out the truth of the gospel. He wants us to actively protect the gospel. He wants us to partner with those who are advancing the gospel. And he wants us to pass on the gospel to the next generation. He wants us to reject fear and passivity, fear of suffering, fear of shame, and push for, be, and be pushed forward, be driven by, be fueled by a desire to see the word of God go into every facet of our lives. This passage begs you and I to live a life that's driven by the word of God. And yet if you're here today and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you know that this is way easier said than it is done. If you're like me, you know what it's like to have passivity and fear, paralysis, keep you from actively following Jesus in the way you, that he wants to. Uh, how many times have you, you and I been in a, in, a, in, a, in a conversation with someone who doesn't trust in Jesus, who, who's not a Christian, and we've been hesitant to bring God or scripture or the gospel into, this, into a conversation uh, with them because we're afraid that they might respond the wrong way, right? And we have a thousand reasons why, justifying why we shouldn't talk to this person about Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and we're ignoring the one good reason why we ought to. Right. Maybe, uh, maybe you're here and it's not necessarily fear that's keeping you from, from pursuing a, a, a life that's driven by the word. But, uh, but, but it's some, some other reason. So, for example, uh, parents. If, how many times uh, have you ever had a conversation with your child in which you've had to ask them to stop doing a certain behavior? Like a thousand times probably this morning already, okay? It's a constant conversation. How many times in those conversations with your children have, have you brought scripture or the gospel, the truth of the gospel, into those conversations of discipline or correction? How many times have you pointed to the, to the grace of, of, that Jesus offers in the gospel as reasons why we turn from sin and, 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 and diso- disobedience and toward a new life, right? Living this, this uh, kind of life in which the word is actively being brought into every facet, it's not our default mode. How many times have you been in a conversation with a, a believer, a, a friend about maybe a big life decision or something that's hard going, that's going on in your life and you've had an extended conversation with someone, uh, but, you, but looking back at that conversation, you say, well, scripture the gospel, God, it didn't really 
play a part in that conversation. Never, never really was, uh, really was never a factor in that conversation or that relationship with a person. Right? For many reasons and in so many ways, you and I live as though the, the Bible, that scripture, it doesn't really belong in our everyday lives. It doesn't really belong in our decision making or our parenting or our thoughts about the future. It doesn't really drive us. We're not driven by the word. So how do we do this? How do you and I live lives driven by the word of God? Specifically, Paul calls us to fear, fear strangers. Uh, specifically, called, Paul calls Timothy to three practices. Three practices. Firstly, we see Paul called Timothy to preserve the true gospel. So this is found in verses 13 and 14 of, of, of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, let's, let's read along with me here. Paul writes, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So the central aspect of Timothy's job in Ephesus was to teach and to preach scripture in the churches there. This is a difficult task, as we saw last week. But at the same time, his task was not complicated. It was very straightforward. Paul says that the first thing that you must do to remain faithful, to faithfully endure in the gospel over the long haul, is to simply replicate the message that you got from me. Follow the pattern. Of sound words, that's, a, that's the first metaphor that he uses in these verses. That word pattern, it it's kind of carries with it like the idea of a prototype or an original model of something. Just, just make the same thing over and over. Take what you heard from me and follow that pattern. But then he uses, and the, but the, the problem with that is that there were many people in Ephesus, just like there are today, who looked at the gospel that Paul preached and, and they said, oh, that looks really great, but it could even be better if we just made the, a few tweaks here. We could really help people live to their fullest potential and live really religious and moral lives. We could really bring people true happiness if we just tweaked the gospel just a little bit and made it a little bit better. And in addition to that, it would also have the nice bonus effect of bringing us a little cash with us because people are always willing to pay to hear a message that they think will make their lives better. Okay, so they tweaked the gospel uh, a little bit. And Paul says to Timothy, so you need to guard this gospel. You need to guard this gospel. That's the second metaphor that he uses to describe what faithfulness looks like. Guarding the good deposit. If, uh, uh, so we have, I, we have a two-year-old son, Micah, uh, and we also have a, an eight-month-old. So we, there was a time when we had a toddler and a newborn in our, in our house at the, together at the same time. And we, my wife and I were, were reflecting on what it's like to be a parent of a newborn. On the one hand, you're like super excited because you're proud, you're beaming, you want everybody to, to you know, see your, your, new baby, your new baby and you're showing off. But then on the other hand, you're also like in full defense mode, protecting this baby from anything. So you have a toddler that's throwing toys around. You're like trying to build a bubble around your, your kid to keep him, keep him safe. There's a global pandemic going on. So you're like, how much is this a risk for me? Like you're, you're protecting, you're, you want to protect your newborn, right? Uh, and so uh, Paul tells Timothy uh, that being entrusted with the gospel is a lot like being entrusted with a newborn. And not that it's fragile or vulnerable, but that you are called to be on full defense mode, preserving, protecting from those who would want to distort and twist it. Okay? Uh, now, Timothy is a teacher and a preacher. That's what he's been sent to Ephesus to do. Most of us in this room are, are not tasked with 
with the responsibility of publicly teaching and preaching scripture. Most of us in this room just, we want to be faithful in what God has given us to be faithful in. We want to be faithful to our spouse. We want to raise our kids. We want to, you know, and, and, you know, be faithful with the finances God's given us. We want to be faithful at work. We, we, we want to be faithful with what God's given us. So how then, what is your responsibility as, uh, as someone who's not publicly teaching and preaching scripture? What is your responsibility to preserve and protect the true gospel? I think there's two, at least two applications for us this morning. Firstly, if, if we're going to follow faithfully and preserve the gospel, we must train our ears. We must train our ears. Whenever you listen to someone who teaches the Bible, whether it's here on a Sunday morning, whether it's a podcast or radio or something on TV or you're attending a Bible study somewhere, uh, your ears need to be sensitive and alert, constantly sifting through what's being said, trying to discern the difference between truth and lie. Okay, you, you, listening to scripture is never a passive activity where we get to just sit back and passively absorb content that's coming out of somebody's mouth. We never get that privilege. We never get that. Listen to, to, uh, to Paul's word in Galatians chapter 1. This is, he's writing to the entire church in the region of Galatia. He says, I'm, so ast- I'm astonished that you are so quickly uh, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Okay, so that's pretty strong words. This is, these are the, like the opening letter of words of this, of this letter. But then he comes back, he picks up on the same thing two chapters later. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you. That's weird. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? So why this strong language? Why? It's because false teachers, those who were distorting the gospel, had snuck their way into the church in Galatia and corrupting some. And there were some in the church who were being tempted to follow along with this false teaching. But notice, what I want us to notice here uh, is who does Paul hold accountable for false teaching in the church? Does he hold the pastors and elders accountable? No. Does he hold the deacons accountable? No. He holds the entire church body accountable. So, yes, primarily pastors, elders, leaders in the church, they are, they are responsible for protecting the gospel, for preserving the true gospel. But it's the entire church. If you call yourself a believer, it's, it's your responsibility to whichever body of believers you're committed to, to protect the gospel, to, to train your ears, to discern and actively fight for the preservation of that gospel in your midst. Okay? Secondly, though, we need to train our ears, but secondly, we need to, this is a call to raise up faithful elders and teachers. Raising up leaders is an act of the, that the entire body does. Uh, and if, uh, uh, if, you, if you're someone who, t- who considers Peninsula Grace home for you, especially if you're a member, you need to take seriously our responsibility to affirm godly leadership and to encourage faithful men and women to pursue leadership roles and teaching opportunities in the church. We protect the gospel by making sure we're raising up faithful leaders. That's what we do. Okay. So 
we preserve the true gospel. The second practice that we need to be devoted to is partnering with those who promote the true gospel. Partnering with those who promote the true gospel. This is, so follow along with me in, um, in verses 15 through 18. 15 through 18. Paul writes, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him uh, grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered us at Ephesus. Okay, so after giving instructions to Timothy, follow, follow the pattern, guard the deposit, he, he then provides a couple of examples of what it looks like to, to pursue a word-driven life. And the first two examples are negative examples. I guess they're examples of what not to do. Uh, Phagellus and Hermogenes. He says, they deserted me along with everyone in Asia. And just to clarify, Asia here is not, we think of Asia as China, India, uh, Japan. Uh, I know other Asian countries too, if you quiz me. But, but, um, but, uh, but in the Roman world, Asia specifically was referring to just the westernmost province in Anatolia, in, in, in Turkey. So, and Ephesus, where Timothy was, Timothy was in the capital of, of this Roman province, Asia. And so... Uh, and so, so Timothy likely knew who Phagellus and Hermogenes were. He, he, he knew firsthand what it was. Men who had abandoned Paul were, were afraid of being associated and identifying with him and all the cultural shame and baggage that, that, um, that would come with that. He, he would have known and, and experienced what that was like. And so Paul is saying, look, don't be like them who f- fail to partner with me. And so... Um, so we, we fail in our responsibility to live a life that's driven by the word when we fail to support men and women who have devoted their lives to real gospel ministry. We fail in our responsibility to live a life driven by the word when we fail to support men and women who have devoted their lives to real gospel ministry. In contrast, though, Paul names another guy, and it's a forest. And he, uh, he had seen Paul... And the work that he was doing for Jesus. And he said, and this is a guy who, who, who I want to back and I want to invest in no matter what it costs me. So he's willing to follow, uh, follow Paul all the way from Ephesus all the way to Rome where Paul was in a, sitting in a Roman citizen, he, Roman prison as a Roman citizen. He was willing to sacrifice for Paul financially and was willing to embrace the shame uh, that came with identifying with him, no matter what it cost, just to make sure that Paul had what he need while he needed while he was in prison. So, uh, part of what it means then for us to live a life that's driven by the Word of God is to follow Anisiphorus' example. We are to faithfully, strategically, and sacrificially support those who give their lives to proclaiming the true gospel. In other words, really loving the gospel and clinging to scripture should push us to partner with good missionaries. Okay? That's what it means to, to, to live a life driven by the word. So how do we do this well? Well, I think there's three, three aspects of partnering with, with missionaries that we, should, uh, that we should keep in mind. And I think that Anisiphorus bears out for us. Firstly, notice, uh, firstly partner with missionaries faithfully. Notice, Paul says that Anisiphorus often refreshed me and earnestly sought him out. He didn't just make a one-time spontaneous gift because he felt a little guilty while the offering basket was going by. 
No, he was deliberate, and he supported Paul over the long haul. There's nothing wrong with making a one-time gift, but the best kind of support that we can make to, to missionaries is, is to, to provide repeated and consistent month after month over the long haul kind of support. Second, uh, not only faithfully, we should also partner strategically. We should be very concerned about finding missionaries who are doing great work for the gospel and who are dedicated to advancing the real gospel in all its fullness. Now notice I didn't say uh, partner with missionaries who have the flashiest newsletters and are always reporting the, mo- the highest number of people who are coming to know Jesus in, under their, their ministry uh, or are making the greatest uh, Facebook posts or, or anything like that. Uh, we want to find missionaries not who are successful, but missionaries who are faithfully plodding along in real gospel ministry. And this sometimes doesn't look attractive or sexy. Paul did not look attractive or successful while he was rotting in a Roman dungeon. Yet, yet Onesiphorus is praised for coming alongside him. So partner with missionaries faithfully, strategically, and sacrificially. It cost Onesiphorus dearly to support Paul. Our giving should be the same. It should, it should hurt a little bit when we give to support a missionary. If your giving for the sake of the gospel doesn't impinge on your comfort, it's not really sacrificial giving. Just by the definition of, what's, of what sacrificial giving means. It has to hurt a little bit. It has to cut a little bit. Okay? So, we partner with missionaries faithfully, strategically, and sacrificially. And then... Uh, uh, so that's, that, that, that's how we partner with those who promote the true gospel. So, Paul's not done yet, though. He's got a third practice that we are to pursue. So we, we're to preserve the true gospel. We're to partner with those who, who advance the true gospel. And then thirdly, we are to pass on the gospel to others. This is what he gets to in the opening verses of chapter 2. Of chapter two. So let's uh, read those now. Uh, <clears throat> you then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. All right, this is the third practice of a life that's driven by the word of God. To entrust the sound teaching of the gospel into others. Paul says to Timothy, look, you're not going to be in Ephesus forever. You're going to leave one day. And you're needed elsewhere. So it's not enough for you just to preserve or to refute false teaching. It's not enough for you to support me. I need you. Your primary task is to make sure, to do what you can, to make sure that the gospel takes root in Ephesus long after you're gone. And that's our, our primary task as, as disciples, as followers of Jesus today, is to make sure that the gospel takes root in Soldatna, Kenai, Kasilov, Nikiski, Sterling, long after we're gone. Okay, uh, And he uses that word entrust. He tells Timothy, entrust what you've heard from me to faithful men. Entrust, that, that literally means, it's a, it's a very concrete word. It's a physical word. It means to place into or to set on. It's what a, what a farmer would do in, uh, with a seed. You, you place a seed into the ground. You entrust the seed into the ground, entrusting it to the soil that it might bear Fruit. It's a. It's also a, a word that uh, that uh, is used like to talk about finances. This is what you do with your money. You take it. 
to a bank or a financial institution or someone and you, you in, invest it into them, you place it into them, you entrust your finances into this person and expecting that it, you will get a return on investment that will, it will accrue, accrue interest, okay? So that's what Timothy uh, was to do with people, was to do with the gospel. He was to take the message of Jesus' death, his resurrection, in our place and on our behalf and invest it into other people. He is to deposit it, to place it into them. This is what it means, part of what it means to be driven by the word. We are to move outward. We are to move into investing into other people. Now you might hear that and think, hold on, isn't it enough for me to just worry about uh, getting the scripture, getting the word into my own life? Like it's, it's hard enough for me to, to read the Bible uh, on my own uh, regularly. It's hard enough for me to, to, to get much out of a sermon and try to apply it to my life. It's hard enough for me to, to get much out of a Bible study or listen to a podcast that, that feels relevant in any way. Uh, isn't, living, isn't it enough for me to just care about getting the word into my own life? Do I really have to worry about getting it into other people? But I think what we've seen this whole passage tell us is that that living a life that's driven and centered around the word of God can never be a private event. Uh, living a, a word-driven life is about bringing the truth of God's word out of our private life and into our relationships with others. Living a word-driven life isn't primarily about investing in yourself. It's about investing in other people. Yet at the same time, it's very, this is challenging. It's a challenging task that Paul is giving Timothy and that we are given ourselves. I mean, I, this is part of my job. Part of what I get paid to do is to invest in people. And I still find it to be one of the hardest things I have to do is to invest deliberately and intentionally in other people. <clears throat> so, with, so with that in mind, there are a couple of principles that I've found that are helpful for investing the word into other people. And first, firstly, start with those who are close to you. Start close. Begin to invest the word into people who are closer, close to you. And this means, for many of us, it means starting at home, starting in the living room, starting at the dining room table. If you're, if you're uh, married, it begins by investing in your spouse. For some reason, our, our marriage relationships are, uh, are one of the hardest places to bring God's word into in a meaningful way. This person knows your deepest failures, uh, your hypocrisy, your pride and selfishness in a way that probably nobody else does. So to to somehow think about how to intentionally bring God's word into those relationships, it's it's daunting, but it's something we're called to pursue. Start close. If If you have children, it means prioritizing your children. How do you entrust the gospel to other people? It's you entrust it to your children. This is what we. This is why we dedicated uh, these these families and these children earlier. It's because we believe that parents are the primary disciple makers of their children. So our homes are to be a place in which we're constantly teaching and reminding and demonstrating to our kids the grace of the gospel. Uh, when uh, when my family was dedicated in the first service, it looked like a zoo up here. I'm trying to hold a microphone, and my son's trying to. Eat the microphone and and stuff. And and the last time we tried to have a family uh, family devotions a a couple nights ago, 
he, he was really trying to get the word into him. He was rip, trying to rip pages out of my Bible. As I, was, I just wanted to read seven verses out of a psalm and then pray. That's all I wanted to do. And he would, he would not have it. He was ripping, ripping the Bible out, out of my hand, ripping the page off, trying to get it into his own mouth, okay? Family, it will, pursuing, prioritizing, and investing the gospel in your children, it will not be pretty. It will not feel powerful at all. It will be very mundane and sometimes very stressful. But we, we, we stick at it. We pursue it because we're prioritizing those who are close with us. And we're called to entrust the gospel to others. Uh, if, it, um, it might mean, though, starting close might mean just identifying someone in this body with whom you connect with. Somebody that's already in your sphere of, in, of, of influence or in your sphere of relationship. And, just, and, and, and beginning with them. Start close. Okay, but secondly, keep it simple. Keep it simple. You might be here and thinking, okay, how am I supposed to, okay, I get it, Timothy, you know, he's like, that's what he got, you know, that's what he devoted his life to, teaching and preaching. Um, how am I supposed to invest the gospel into other people's lives? I'm in no way qualified to do that. I've never had anyone disciple me or invest in scripture in me. I don't know where to begin. I would say just keep it simple. Maybe you identify someone close with, close to you, you who you connect with. And just start by being honest. Say, I want to grow in my relationship with Jesus, and I need help. Would you help me follow Jesus better? Uh, would you sit down with me regularly so we can just read Scripture together? So we can talk about how following Jesus is going, so we can pray together. Keep it, uh, keep it simple. <clears throat> you don't have to uh, have all the answers. Uh, you just have to be devoted to opening God's Word up together, reading it, and praying. Okay, uh, if, you have, if you have the ability to take your Bible, uh, to look in the table of contents, find the New Testament, find the Gospel of John, open up to the Gospel of John and, and, and read the first five verses of the Gospel of John, you have, if you have that ability, you have all the raw skills that you need to be able to entrust the Gospel to other people. Because you read the Bible, talk about it, pray together. Okay, So invest in people. Start close and keep it simple. How many of you know who this is? Anybody? I didn't know until like yesterday. So if you, anybody can recognize the face. Anybody know who Bernie Madoff is? Bernie Madoff is? Okay, so uh, he, uh, he died this week, actually. That's why his, his, his picture is on, on the screen. He died on Wednesday. Uh, he was born in 1938, uh, and he died on Wednesday at, uh, at the age of 82. And Bernie Madoff, uh, in 2009, he was sentenced to 150 years in prison. Uh, so he died in prison. That's a long time. 150 years in prison for financial fraud. Basically, he was running the greatest Ponzi scheme that's ever been, uh, that's ever been done before. Um, and uh, he, uh, he, uh, he had founded his own investment firm in 1960, in the year 1960. In the beginning in, in the 1980s, he began to... Uh, or at least that's when they have like financial record of when he was doing this. Uh, he began uh, defrauding investors. That is, he was he he, he was able to, to 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 pay those who got in early on his investments with the, uh, with the funds that he collected from those who got in later. All while there never really being any substance behind what was being invested in. I'm not a financial wizard. If you uh, if you know. Uh, if you can tell, by the way, I'm talking about this. But the point is, uh, the point is, 
he, 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 was, he was enticing people, baiting people with this air of you could get it on something great. And it's so great that he, was, he would even deny people. He would say, actually, I don't know that you're really committed to this, uh, to, to this investment like you ought to be. I don't know if you can really bring as much table, money to the table as you as, as I'd like for you. So he would deny, deny people. And so he, what he would do, he would create kind of this air of exclusivity uh, to, his invet, to his investment scheme, to his Ponzi scheme. And that way he would get really huge, you know, only, and then that would just make people like, well, I gotta get more money. And, and he was always so baiting people into this. And at the end of the day, the money had to run out at some point. And so it's been de- determined that he had, he, he, uh, that $65 million worth of investments were lost uh, that had been invested into him. And over 15,000 claims against Bernie Madoff ha- have been made to this point. So that's 15,000 people uh, that, he, that he stole millions and millions of dollars for, from. If this story, if the story of Bernie Madoff tells us anything, it is be careful what you invest in. There's a lot of things in your life uh, not just financial, there are a lot of things in your vice that are baiting you, that are telling you, invest in me, devote your life, devote your money, devote your time to me, and it will be so worth it. Devote your life to your own free time, devote your life to your, your career, devote your life to, uh, to pursuing a great uh, leisurely a retirement, devote your life to me and it will be worth it. But there's only one thing that's actually worth investing in. Invest the gospel into people. Invest in people. Entrust the gospel to others. What else is worth devoting your life to? If you're feeling overwhelmed by this task, this call to entrust the gospel, look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Um, Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't look for strength in yourself. Don't look for strength in, in, in your own dreams, your own giftedness, your own priorities. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Go to him. Confess your fear. Confess your passivity. Confess your inability to live a truly life that's truly driven by the word. In Jesus' death on the cross, his grace, it covered over your own, your, all your fear, all your, your sinful pride, your selfish self-investment. Let this grace strengthen us to take the next step forward. Now let me pray for us as the band comes up. Father, we confess that uh, uh, the calling that you have called us to, to be driven by the word, to, to hold out the word uh, into every, every facet of our life and to cling tightly to it, that task is impossible. It is too difficult for us. We fail and we fail. Uh, uh, we're afraid to even try. But Lord, we also confess that your grace is great. So would you strengthen us with your grace that we might live boldly, that we might plunge headlong into a life that's driven by your word. Teach us what it means to, to, 
to preserve the true gospel, to, to partner with those who, who care about advancing the gospel and, and, and to uh, pass on the gospel to others. Teach us to invest our lives in the only thing that matters. Would you comfort us where we need to be comforted? Would, we, would you convict where we need to be convicted? Would you challenge us and inspire us to grow into your image? We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.